book of Ezra, Ezra chapter number 9. And we're just going to read, for sake of uh, 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 preaching tonight, we're going to read about three verses, but this really is the kind of message you want to keep your Bible open there. We're going to give you some background. It's a little unfamiliar passage, and then we'll kind of get to the message. And I'll probably talk quickly. Uh, normally, this is a three-and-a-half-hour message. The pastor wants me to keep it to 30 minutes. So we're going to cut out all the scripture, all the application, and all the stories. And uh, No, I'm just kidding. But here we are, Ezra chapter number 9 and verse number 8. And Ezra says, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. It's interesting. God teaches us about the Christian life by telling us who he is and who we are. One place, he says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. Another place, I'm, uh, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, and so forth. And in this passage, he says, you're the nail, I'm the carpenter. Kind of interesting. And then he says in verse 9, For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving. The word revive or reviving is mentioned more in those passages than any place in the Bible consistently. Very important what's happening in this book of Ezra. Here's the background to it quickly. This is what's called a post-captivity book. Like some of the old timers here, you would maybe talk about Vietnam. Very few of you would maybe mention the Depression or maybe World War II. It was a national event. Well, the a nation of Israel had gone through a national event. They had turned their back upon the living God. The God who had given them Scripture, the God who had given them the Ten Commandments, the God who took them out of Egypt, did miracles, uh, took them out of slavery, led them, fed them, protected them 40 years in the wilderness, brought them into the promised land. That God, uh, they started worshiping idols and turned their back upon him. And he says, really? And so God delivered them to their enemies. Sometimes God sends plagues. Sometimes he does famine. But in our day, sometimes he sends earthquakes. Sometimes he sends hurricanes. Sometimes there's famines on the West Coast. Sometimes there is a, 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 a rain and pestilence, a, a too much rain it seems. And then sometimes he just removes his hand of protection from a nation and enemy kingdoms come after them. Like 9-11 and like a lot of other things that are going on right now. Israel and America compare so closely. They're his favorite two nations. You just can't argue with that. Uh, Israel, God had special relationship with Israel and God has had a special relationship with America. Uh, we rebelled against uh, England and were independent. Israel rebelled against Egypt and was independent and somehow God has just shed his grace upon us. And so here it is, they're under judgment now. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered them. He has conquered them three different years, 606 B.C., 597, 586. He has taken out Daniel, taken out Ezekiel. He left Jeremiah. The walls are torn down. The temple is destroyed. It is destitute. It's destitute to the point that they uh, cut off their food supplies to Israel. Israel began eating their horses, their animals, then their people. They're about as low as they could get. And somehow God shared his mercy upon them again, gave them another chance. And so what happens is the temple needs to be rebuilt. A guy by the name of Zerubbabel comes back to Jerusalem, gets God's blessings, gets supplies, starts building the temple. Then Ezra comes back to reinstitute temple worship. A, a building is no good if you don't, it's what happens in the building. I'm glad you have a beautiful building, but there's lots of beautiful buildings. It's what's happening in this building that God cares about tonight. And so then later on, of course, Nehemiah comes and rebuilds the wall. 
The wall separated them from enemies in the world. By the way, every church needs both. We need some walls, some separation from the world, and then we also need the temple so we can worship and serve the Lord. If all you have is worship and no walls, you're a worldly church. If all you have is walls and no worship, then you're a mean church. <laughs> if you died today, would you go to heaven? I don't know. Good. All right, next house. <laughs> you know, you have to have both. Someone put it this way. Church is all about building and rebuilding. The books of Nehemiah are about building and Ezra about rebuilding. That's what it's all about. We build youth, we rebuild adults. We're in the repairing stage. We're repairing some people whose lives weren't perfect and others that were raised in Sunday school and church. We just want to build them. By the way, young people, be the teenagers that turn out. Let us put something in you and do something. Go beyond anything that we could do for God. And God will be happy about that. So here's the story then. We're in the book of Ezra. What's happening is some exciting things. Look down, if you will, please. And he's talking about rebuilding and building. If we're ever going to do anything great for God, it's going to take God. Notice looking down in chapter 1 and verse number 1 there, and notice what it says. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah that it might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. So God stirred up a heathen king and said, hey, let them rebuild the temple. So it takes God. We can do everything we want to in our family, in our marriage, in our ministries, but if we don't have the Lord in it, nothing happens. I can do nothing without Christ. And then uh, the Bible says also it takes right-spirited Christians. We see looking down in chapter 1, verse 5, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord. So Zerubbabel says, we need to rebuild the house of the Lord. Ezra says, we need to set up the temple worship. And somehow the spirit of the people, their attitude got stirred up and said, that's right, we need to do this. So it can't be one man, can't be a few men. It's going to have to be all of God's people stirred up to do that. What else takes place? It takes sacrifice. In chapter 1 and verse number 4, it said, And whoever remained in any place where he sojourned, let the men uh, uh, of this place help him. So some men went to rebuild the temple. Those that stayed back were to finance the temple. It's much like foreign missions. The missionaries go to the foreign field. If we don't go to the foreign field, we're to supply their needs financially on the foreign field. So it takes sacrifice. Now here it is. It costs something to... Do something for the Lord. Heard about this dollar bill, true story. This dollar bill and a hundred dollar bill, they were talking. And the dollar bill said, where you been, hundred dollar bill? He said, you know, casinos, resorts, fine dining and expensive restaurants. He said, where you been, little one dollar bill? He said, you know, church to church to church to church to church. You know, it's amazing. A teenager can spend $200 for some Kaepernick or Air Jordan shoes. But in a church service, when the pastor says, we need every family to give $200, we got something big to do. It's like, what? All y'all ever talk about is money. You know, all Macy's talks about is money. All the police officer talks about when you get a ticket is money. All your rent, uh, your landlord talks about is money. All the IRS talks about is money. It takes money to do God's work. Years ago, our missionary, Brother Stensis, to Uganda, Africa, stood up in a service at our church. He said, we got 5 million people dying of AIDS in our country. If we could construct a radio tower, we could broadcast to 5 million people. I said, how much is it, Brother Stensis? He said, it's only $1,300 for the material. I jumped up, said, I'll give the first 300. Someone said, I'll give two, I'll give one, one. In five seconds, we'd raise $1,300. People were angry we didn't need their money. <laughs> See, we're leaving it all behind. I just want to remind you, you're leaving it all behind. When people walk by the casket, look at you and say, how much did they leave? I'll speak up. He left it all. They're going to be selling your stuff at the garage sale. It's going to be on the street. It's going to be a two for five, free, here's a box. I hate to tell you that. We're leaving it behind. We better invest, invest, send it before, invest in eternity. It takes sacrifice. 
to do the work of the Lord. Not only that, it takes encouragement. Look over in chapter 1 and verse 6. We're hastening. We're getting to the message. And it says, And all they that were about strengthened their hands. If you can't do the work that you used to do, strengthen the hands of those that are doing the work. If you can't be on a bus route anymore, you got too old, you can pick up donuts for the bus workers. You can uh, be praying for them. Uh, if you can't go door to door soul winning, uh, you're too unhealthy now, you can still call people's name out in prayer. That is, uh, strengthen their hands in the Lord. Not only that, it takes a humble spirit takes a humble spirit. In chapter 2 and verse 1, we're getting there. It says, Now the children of that province went up out of the uh, uh, captivity uh, that went up, and those who had been uh, captive, and he keeps going on there, uh, and he talks about all these people. Listen, Ezra was not even mentioned until chapter, like, 7. This book has his name, but he's not even mentioned. You know, that's a humble spirit. You know what a humble spirit is? It's admitting that there's a problem and we need some help. Years ago, when the, when the rocket ship went up and they realized something was wrong on the spacecraft, the w famous words was this, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. You know, we're going to have to have a humble spirit if a revival spirit comes to this church. It's going to have to be to the point that a husband and wife look at each other and say, we got a problem. We're going to run from it. We're going to work through this. Hey, we got a problem with Junior in the house. Are we going to ignore it? What are we going to do about this? Uh, my prayer life, there's a problem. My soul winning, there's a problem. My church, there's a problem. I got an addiction, uh, there's a problem. What's it take? They built an altar. I must hasten. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. First thing they built before the temple got built, they set up the altar. By the way, that's the number one priority of every Christian your altar, your time with the Lord. Bible, prayer, more important than anything else, more important than music or television or fellowship or spending time with anybody else is your God time. I tell our college kids that go off to Bible college, your number one goal your first week at Bible college is to find your prayer place. Where are you going to pray? Where are you going to read God's word? Where's the place? Outside, in the dorm, under a tree, on a bench, next to your bed? Where's your prayer place? Where's your prayer time? Where's your Bible time? And so they built an altar. Do you have an altar? Do you have a place where you open God's word every day and say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. What else? We must hasten. They laid some foundations. By the way, I see your beautiful building, but I don't see the foundation. I don't know about the rebar. I don't know how many feet your cement goes down. I don't know about the gravel underneath. I don't know what the compaction rate is. I don't know how much sand is under there. I don't know about the soils report. You'll never see it. 51% of this building is unseen. You'll never see it. When we were building a two-story building at our church, I kept saying, when are the two-by-fours going up? When are the beams going up? They said, patience, pastor. 51% in the ground. The sewer lines, the water lines, the water sprinkler systems, the electrical currents, 51% unseen. By the way, that's the most important part of your life too. It's the unseen. It's what no one sees but what God sees. He built some foundations there. They built foundations quickly. They avoided wrong unions. People kept saying, come, let us build with you. Be careful who wants to associate with you. It'll water you down. We are called to be bright lights in a dark world. We've got a lot of churches these days that somehow think we're called to be gray lights. They don't want to be bright lights and offend people, but they don't want to be darkness. They just want to kind of be in between there. You know, I was excited when I came in and saw your auditorium. I didn't see the smoke machines. I was happy about that. I was happy I didn't see hydraulics on the pulpit where it came out of the floor and started moving. I'm glad I saw the guys and their shirts weren't unbuttoned and they didn't have cutoffs and little uh, benches to kind of wrap with the people. I'm glad there's still a pulpit. I'm glad there's still some hymns. I'm glad there's some modesty here. I'm glad the worship goes to God and not to man and not just to the singers, but it's God's word. And that's what you want. That's the foundation you want to build upon. Not only that, but it takes staying around preaching. Look over in Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5, they get the temple half built. They get discouraged. By the way, we all go through quitting times. 
I like what evangelist Larry Brown said. He's been preaching, I think uh, he preached to Methuselah. He was in one of his church services. He's been preaching a long time. I said, Brother Brown, how, uh, uh, how can you be in the ministry 60 years? He said, I survived the quitting places. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and began to build. What happened? They had stopped building. When do we need revival? When we stop building. God's called us to build something, build a family, build a marriage, build a Sunday school class, build a bus route, reach a city, support some missionaries. And when we stop, we need revival. Zechariah and Haggai, that's the two books in the Bible. They preached and all of a sudden, Zerubbabel says, I don't even remember why we stopped. Hey, let's get back at it. And they finished. We're going to have to be around preaching. And then in chapter 9, verse 8, it mentions those words, revival, revive. We need a reviving. We're going to have to have regular reviving. Someone says, what is revival, pastor? The word simply means life. It also means new life. It also means growth. Wintertime, all the trees look dead and haggard. And about springtime, the sun comes out in the first rain and you see new growth. You see something green coming off those trees and off those plants. That's what the word revival means. We're going to have to have regular revivals. One is not enough. By the way, revival is not a feeling. If you left church last night feeling good, walking on a cloud, that's wonderful. I love that song. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. I've got heaven on my mind. But I wonder if all the women pregnant with morning sickness sing that song. Well, I'm blah, mighty fine. Blah. I doubt anyone with COVID was saying, well, I just feel like something good is about to happen. You know, sometimes that's not a feeling. Revivals, new life. New growth. God's put something new again. Something's died and he's raised it. Has your prayer life died? Has your heart for souls died? Has your compassion died? Is there something in your life, some relationship that is now dead? Well, we've got a powerful God. If he can speak to Lazarus and raise him from the dead, he can put life into any area of yours that's dead. It's revival. Billy Sunday said, revival is like a bath. It cleans you up. It doesn't, it doesn't last, but it's good for you. And that's what revival is all about. When do we need revival? When a nation condones killing babies. When do we need revival? When every religion is considered God's family. When we legalize drugs and legalize nudity, we cannot find a decent politician that doesn't have a bunch of baggage hardly to run for a great office. When we praise immoral, cursing, God-hating stars, we need revival. When the Bible's rejected and evolution is accepted, when marriage has to be defined, when we don't know what bathroom to go into anymore, when historical figures are now discredited and statues that have been paid for by taxpayers' dollars are now desecrated, when people want freedom without fighting, when people want rights uh, 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 without having responsibility, when dads no longer want to take responsibility for children that they father we need revival that's what we need in this country when a nation when a nation is more concerned about the environment than we are the unborn we need revival uh, when uh, 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 when we're saying Jesus is the only way to heaven and they think we're guilty of exclusiveness and intolerance when we praise the wrong people when we uh, uh, when the Bible is rejected uh, when the uh, 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 we don't know what gender we are and uh, 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 marriage if we ought to be married or not we could go on and on and on but we need revival. When the praise band and the dance team replaces the choir, we need revival. When door-to-door -door confrontational soul winning is a thing of the past, we need revival. When there's dust on our soul winning testaments, we need revival. When the gospel tracts you have, if you have mine, they've still got black hair on the pastor, you need revival because you hadn't passed one out in a long, long time. 
When women are more interested in catching a man with their flesh than being a godly mom, we need revival. The Bible says, Wilt thou not revive us again and again and again? It comes from God. It cannot be worked up, psyched up, bought, paid for. It has to come from the Lord. Wilt not thou revive us again? As long as America's straying and our youth are confused and the mission field is sparse and modesty is a thing of the past and Bibles are unread and there's no joy or laughter in the home and, and church cancels Sunday night and Wednesday night and, and Christians no longer carry gospel tracts and people stop tithing and we have all these excuses for missing church and no young people are surrendering to the mission field anymore and no preacher boy wants to be a preacher boy anymore. They'd rather do something else. Look, God is still calling out full-time workers. He's still got a world that's lost and somehow some people are not hearing the call anymore. When does revival come, Pastor? When does it come? It comes in humility. The Bible says, revive the spirit of the humble, God says. Number two, it comes in the rubbish. Nehemiah 4.2 says, wilt thou not revive the stones from the rubbish? When I came to our church in Napa, I got this great vote, 73%. So 27% was against me, 73% was for me. I said, we're coming, man, that's positive. We got to Napa, we didn't have a promise of a salary. Someone gave us a school bus to move there in. We pulled into town. Brother Wally Beebe, Mr. Bus Ministry, the one that really got the bus ministry nationwide going. He was passing through town, he called. He said, I got a Wednesday night open. I said, we don't have money to put you in a motel. He said, that's fine. I said, you can stay at our house. He said, that's fine. I said, I don't have money to take you out to a meal. He said, that's fine. He said, I'll just come. And he came and spoke to our church that night, just a handful. And I said, Brother Beebe, tell me, what would you do here? Our roof leaked. Stains on the ceiling, three different color carpets. Every time the carpet ran, they just put gray duct tape. It kind of looked like you'd stand there, C, D, G. You don't look like a line or a foul shot line. Uh, we had a bus out front. All the tires were flat. The windows were busted out. It, it was graffitied, and it said, we care about people. That was our bus ministry. Weeds growing all up over there. They had a big pile of dirt in the back of the church. Looked like an ancient Indian burial ground. I said, what is this? Someone brought a load of dirt to make a volleyball court, got mad, left the church, so they left all the dirt. And I said, Brother Beebe, what would you do here? Here's my notebook. He said, fix that roof and pull this carpet out and paint this and get rid of that bus. He talked for three hours. And finally he said, I don't even think it can be done here. All he saw was rubbish. But God looked down to Napa Valley and saw a bunch of souls. And it wasn't long before there were people getting saved and people getting baptized and a church remodeled and people called to ministry and God did something wonderful in that city. Hey, you got rubbish in your life. You got just a bunch of waste and you say, my life is just wasted. Look at all this junk in my life. God said, that's a great time for me to send a revival. In the midst of your years, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Habakkuk 3.2. Are you in the middle age years? You're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. God says, that's a good time for revival. Are you a teenager in the middle of your seven teenage years? You're like 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade. You're right there. God says, boy, that's a great time for revival. You've been saved so long and, and it's a great time for revival. We just need it in the midst of our years. When do we need revival? When is it needed? It's needed when we have troubles. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. You got troubles, financial troubles? God says, I'd like to send a revival for you. A pastor, very well known, one of the largest churches in America. He spoke at this church year, for, year by year by year. One one service, he was sitting on the platform and he just, he sensed a buzz in the church. Not that everybody had been drinking or something, but I mean a buzz. And he looked at the pastor, he said, what's happened to your church? He said, I come here every year, there's something different. The pastor looked and he said, you see that man over there? And the guest speaker said, yeah, I see him. 
He said he caught on fire for God. And he set everybody else on fire for God. One man. One man. It wouldn't take one teenager in the church to send revival to the whole youth group. It wouldn't take one man to send revival to a whole church. In the time of trouble, you say, what happens when revival comes? People start listening again. Pastors know what I'm talking about. Sunday school teachers know, leaders, missionaries understand. When you speak, you know when you have someone's ear. And then you know when they've stopped listening. You ever not listen at church? You ever raise your hand at the wrong time? All right, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. All right, all the lost people, you're on your way to hell. Uh, uh, you've never been saved. Raise your hand. Man, your hand's up because you thought he said if you're saved, and then you look around, oh, man. You ever raise your hand at the wrong time? I was at a conference one time, and Bruce Fry, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, the guitar player, famous Christian singer, Bruce Fry was on the front row. I shouldn't have done it. They were giving announcements at this National Youth Workers Conference. I just poked him. Because he was going to sing that morning. I said, Bruce, they told you to come up and sing. Okay. And he just walks up during the announcements, grabs his guitar, ding, 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 uh, stands up here. And the speaker said, Bruce, what are you doing? He says, I'm getting ready to sing the special. He says, it's, it's, it's not your turn to sing the special. And he looked down and he says, Brother Ray. He's never forgiven me. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge after that. No, he didn't do that. You ever not listen? Here's what happens. When revival comes, you're listening again. Some people even change their seating in the church. We have a guy that drives about an hour to come to our church. His name is Rob. He knew I didn't know his last name. He texted me. He said, All right, all right, back home. Thanks. Nope. Okay. We're taking a Better. All right, good. Okay, I think it's good. All right, thanks so much. Good. Y'all's church needs revival in the sound system. Okay. <laughs> Who did God use to bring revival? Let me give you this quickly. Josiah, a teenager. He becomes the king and he said, I found the book. He said, I found the book. And revival came to the nation through a teenager. Who did God use? Ezra, a scribe, a teacher. A teacher brought revival. Who did he use? King Asa, a politician, 1 Kings 5. Who did he use? Nehemiah, a layman. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Who did he use? A woman at the well, a new convert. She brought revival to her city. What are the ingredients? Now, here we are. It's renew. Renewing ministries, renewing soul winning, renewing church, renew, getting back in. And thank God for people that are here tonight. What are the ingredients? What do you have to do? to have a personal revival. Here it is, number one, get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. 2 Kings 22, Josiah said, I found the book. You're going to have to find that Bible again and get back in it. Lay aside the daily bread and all the devotional books. Just get back in the Bible for a while. Just read it and read it and read it. A little child came to his... Uh, uh, home and uh, as he walked in he said uh, he had just come back from a revival meeting he couldn't pronounce his V's so he said tonight we had a great revival and I think he got it right when you have a revival you have a revival I was giving out tracts at our public school of Struma High School when I was in 10th grade I had my Bible in my hands 
I handed a tract to a student. He looked at the Bible. He says, is that a Bible? I said, yep. He said, have you read the whole thing? Tenth grade. I said, no. He handed me the tract back and said, if you don't care enough about that book to read the whole thing, don't, don't, don't give me this literature to read. I went back, marked my Bible up, started reading it. 26 chapters a day. In six weeks, I'd finished the whole Bible. Read the Bible 10th grade six times that year. I wasn't a perfect kid, but there was a spark in my heart, and somehow I'd put so much wood upon it, it was a flaming fire. I went back, handed him a track. He says, have you read? I said, the whole thing. There's something about a lot of Bible that gets the heart back wanting to do something for the Lord. Number two, the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. It's Jesus. It's all about him. Three, workman. Second Kings 13, 2. I love this story. It says that Elisha died. They buried him. And in the middle of a battle, a soldier gets killed. You know the story. They start putting him down in that, uh, in that vault. And the dead man's body touched the bones of the prophet Elisha. And the Bible says, and the man, here's the word God uses, revived. The dead man touched the man of God's bones and revived, came alive, a miracle. You'll never have revival when you're not right with that man right there. Say, so, well, he ain't God. You're real smart. Wow. <laughs> wow. God never leads a ministry without picking a man. It was Moses. Moses said, I don't even want to do this. I'm picking you. Lead him out of Israel. Uh, lead him out of Egypt. God always picked a man. Follow the leader. Encourage the leader. Pray for the leader. Everyone is called to do one or two things. You say, Pastor, what's God's will for my life? Here it is. Be a pastor or help a pastor. That's God's will for your life. Now, you're going to have to figure it out, especially you women. <laughs> and you, my wife preaches some pretty good sermons to me. About a year or so ago, oh, maybe two years ago, I finished speaking on a Sunday night and I was about to walk out of the front doors of the church. We live just several doors down from the church. And one of our real quiet teenagers, I guess ninth grade, was just kind of standing there, not saying anything. And I started heading home, and I see him kind of behind me. He's kind of walking next to me. I said, can I help you? No, sir. So I started walking again, and I said, is there something you need? No, sir. And I'm walking, and he's just like, like right there next to me. I said, Oh, you okay? I mean, is there, is there something I can do for you? No, sir, I'm just walking you home. I said, is it like, should I fear for my life or something? Are you like a bodyguard? No, I just want to be around my pastor. That kid's going to make it. That kid's going to make it. Young people, I just want to tell you this. One of Satan's goals is to divide you from a closeness with the man of God. I'll tell you why. Because if he'll put a little something, well, he didn't come to my ball game. Well, he didn't speak to me. Or something a little chinchy like that, pretty soon he'll stand up and say, the Bible says, and you won't be listening. Several weeks after that, it was like six teenage guys walking me home. <laughs> I said, can you at least take pictures and we'll call you the paparazzi or something? No, no. Work man. What else? The ingredients, we must hasten. The work. The work. Revive thy work. Here's my question. What do you do in this church? What do you do? You know, it's almost a man question. When lady visitors come to a church, it's, hi, are you visiting? And the ladies start talking, oh, do you have children? Yeah, and all the pictures come out. Kids, grandkids, not men. Men stand in the lobby. We don't talk unless we have to. 
If a new guy comes into the church, we might say this, one word, what you do? That's one word, what you do? Drywall. Electrician, starts with an L. Bank robber. Let me ask you a question. What do you do? You're singing the choir. Do you make the choir rehearsals? God's given you a voice. By the way, even if God has not given you a good voice, but you desire being in the choir, I guarantee you they'll give you a spot if you'll smile. You ought to be the smilingest, glowingest person. How come? The choir warms up the heart, opens the heart for the man of God to open the Bible and, and preach. The invitation starts in the lobby long before the message happens. It's that handshake and it's that smile and that's great song service and it's the congregation and it's the people in the pew singing and their amen in the message. Man, something's working on hearts long before the pastor says, come to get saved. What do you do? You're in the choir? You clean the building? You work on the buses? You blow around the parking lot? You mow the parking lot? Mow yeah, our parking lot has a lot of grass going through it. Do you weed eat here? Do you work in the nursery? Do you teach your class? Do you do backyard Bible clubs? Are you out on soul winning times, knocking on doors, passing out flyers? What do you do for the Lord? Well, Pastor, my call is to come and sit in this seat. Hey, try that in the military. I ain't called to shoot the enemy. I'm just called to eat in the chow hall three times a week. Give me some medals. You need to find something to do. If my wife and I lived anywhere within driving distance of here and I was not a pastor, we would come to this church, we would join this church. I'd ask your pastor, give me something to do. Working people are happy people. You want to be busy. The servants are the happy ones. We must hasten. I'm never going to finish this. And then the wall. Ingredients. The wall. What do you mean the wall? He says a nail in a sure place. So here's what God compares us to. He says we're kind of like a nail. A nail. Some of us, by the way, some of us are big nails. And then some of us are like normal people. <laughs> All nails are different. Some are shorter, some are larger. Some are bent. By the way, you check out the Bible, God's used a lot of bent nails. Pastor, you don't know my past. Hey, and you don't know how good your future is going to be. God looks at all of us and says, I can do something with that. You remember the olden days, some of you folks? when you didn't throw away bent nails. You remember, every nail was important. They cost money and you'd hammer them out. You'd try to straighten them up. That's what God does in church services. He took a Moses, a murderer. He took a David, an adulterer and a murderer. He took a maniac, a Gadara, 2,000 demons. He took Mary Magdalene, seven demons. Most women only have five. She had seven demons. He took a little lad's lunch. He can take someone that's a little bent, bent by sin, bent by stubbornness, and he can take you and straighten you out. But at first, it's going to be a lot of hammering. It's going to be a lot. You say, every sermon's hard. Every ser he's, uh, he's preaching straight to me. Every church, sir, yeah, to get you straight so he can use you. We're a nail in a sure place. Revival is when you figure out I am God's nail. I'm not my own. He's got a place for me. By the way, that place definitely is this church right here. Several thoughts by way of conclusion. Nails are pointed. Now this is going to be real, real deep here. Nails do not come with directions. Hit this side here. It's, it's almost obvious. You know why? Direction is more important than distance. You take a Christian who's lived for God 55 years and all of a sudden they decide they, they missed some sin and they want to go back and get some more pleasure. 
The person that's been saved two days is farther along than them. Why? God looks at what direction you're headed more than what distance you've gone. What direction are you headed right now? More into church or more out of church? More into the world or more out of the world? More into the word or less time into the word? Uh, more into your marriage and family or less in your marriage or ministry? Pointed. Number two, they're straight, not crooked. So when you parents look at your kids and actually say, hey, straighten up, that's biblical. <laughs> Number three, they're made to connect. You see, nails are not made just for looks. Oh, man. They're not made for looks. They're made to connect. All those years going to carpentry school, I just can't believe this. They're made to connect boards. They're made to connect drywall to two-by-fours and studs. We're made to connect people with God. I think of a fellow named Fushida. He was the key pilot that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. He led the attack, and a fellow by the name of Jacob DeShazer counterattacked and bombed Tokyo, was shot down, was in a lifeboat, captured by the Japanese, tortured in a prison camp. Fushida said, I'll kill every Japanese person that I find when I get out of here. Someone slipped a Bible under his cell door. He read it and got saved. In prison, he forgave those that tormented him, surrendered to be a missionary, said, I'm coming back. By that time, Japanese, uh, uh, Japan had lost the war. Fushida was shamed out of the military and was farming. Deshazer came back, started holding crusades in stadiums and coliseums, preaching the word of God to the Japanese. Guess who showed up at one of those services? Fushida who led the Pearl Harbor attack. He got saved. They got connected. They started holding crusades together. The Japanese said, what kind of God could create a man who would forgive us and then who would forgive the guy who bombed their country? We're connecting. We're connecting sinners with the living God. We're connecting wayward teenagers with their parents. We're connecting Christians with a relationship with the Lord. Nails are made to connect. They're not made to go halfway in. You know, when I came in here, Pastor, tonight, I was looking for all the nails. I guarantee you, you guys spent a lot of money on either screws or nails when you built this building. Where are they? I don't see them. They're not made to be seen. And you can't be the kind of Christian, hey, I want all my work to be seen. I want everyone to see everything I'm doing so I get all the cheering I can. You'll make a great decision when you say, my service is for you. If no one acknowledges it, if no one sees it, if no one brags on it, he sees it. And on judgment day, one day, God's going to reward every diaper changed in the nursery, every prayer that was prayed, every, uh, 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 every right made when it was hard to do right. He's going to reward every single act. These are hard nails, brother. Brother Cavanis is a friend of mine. They have a little motto in their family. They have a little family motto for all their kids, and it's this. All of us, all the way. All of us, all the way. Let me ask you. 
You all the way in? Put your right foot in, you put your left foot, one foot in the world and one foot in church, one foot in the marriage and one foot in the wrong. Are you all the way in? I can hear the nails talking. But I want to stay in the box. Don't separate me from my friends. I remember when God started dealing with me about leaving Louisiana to pastor in California. And I thought, just like you think about California, everyone's dying of AIDS, daily earthquakes, everyone has pink mohawks and they're all on skateboards. And I remember singing that song of surrender. Lord, send me anywhere in the deep south. Only go with me in Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Lord. God separated me from some close friends in the box. You'll spend eternity with them. Got to connect some people. I want you to be a nail in a sure place. I've got a place for you. Now, I want to say this to the young people. Your future is as bright as the promises of God. I know we whine a lot, and America's in a mess. What a time to shine for Christ. No longer do you have to say, wonder who a Christian is. You stand out pretty easy these days. You can go to any mission field. You're needed everywhere. Don't put pressure on me. I want to be seen. I don't want anybody hanging on me. I want to say this. Nails are not made to pull out. You don't see directions on the box. To put in the wood, bang, 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 bang. To pull out, you have to bang, bang, chip, chip. Now you're chipping at the wood, trying to, trying to get the claw around. They're not made to come out. Anytime you pull a nail out, it is never in the same condition. You ask anyone that's gone through a broken marriage, they're not the same person anymore. And it may not be any of their fault, but still, they were made to stay. You'll never meet a happy quitter. We're inviting people to church. Uh, you go to church. We used to go to church a long time ago. You'll never meet a happy quitter. Retreat is always unplanned. That's why it looks so chaotic. Maybe you've heard it. Pastor, I know I teach Sunday school, but I just think someone else ought to have a chance to teach. I mean, I've taught three years. And I just think I need a little break. Really? Really? It's time to get in. It's not time to get out. The Lord is coming back soon. You want to be all the way in. Finish the sermon, Pastor. We're tired of you. Okay. When you pull out, those that are hanging on you usually fall. Well, I got to think about me. I'm married, but I got to be happy. Where's that in the Bible? Hey, David Livingston, you got to be happy. I just had my arm mauled by a lion and I hadn't eaten in six weeks. My teeth have fallen out. God placed him there to stop slavery and get missions started in Africa. Well, I just got to be happy. Pastor, I can be a good Christian and never go to church and never tithe. Where's it in the Bible? I have to go to Central Baptist Church. Page 1267. Look at it in your Bibles. It's right past the maps. I'm done. I have to... Sit down.
You say, well, pastor, what would um, God know about nails anyway? Rethink that question. He didn't come down. Oh, no, he didn't come down. 10,000 angels encamped all around. That was his place for you and I. I had a contractor tell me this. I was done preaching this years ago somewhere else. And at the end of the message, he said, do you know what a drywaller does to make sure all the nails are in? They send workers by with their hammers to just run the hammer over every nail. And if they hear a clicking, it's not all the way in. When the Holy Spirit runs his hammer of the word of God over you, Christian, are you all the way in? Teenagers, would everyone in the youth group say, that guy, all the way in. That girl, she is all the way in. It's interesting, I've pastored 35 years the same church. For decades, I never got a call from any pulpit committee saying, we're just kind of wondering, Pastor Ray, would you consider being our pastor? We lost our pastor. No one called. I think they knew I was all the way in. Are you? That's where revival starts. All the way in. Some of you right now that are married, you're kind of looking over the fence. Do I really want to stay in this marriage the rest of my You better get hammered all the way in. And you'll be glad that you did. Do you need a little reviving tonight? Has something died? Is there something that needs new life? fresh life again. He says, I'll be glad to give it to you and you'll enjoy it. Our Heavenly Father, we're asking your blessings on this service tonight.